Rose really nervous. He told I us. I am. I know. I'm like, I'm very nervous because like I said. He thinks you're going to like think you're he's a failure or something. Gonna, yeah. <laughs> you're going to be like, hey, I'm going to be honest. Uh, that was the worst thing I've ever done. I'm like, cool. Thank you so much. <laughs> Hello and welcome back to the Health Unfiltered podcast. I am Ro, and I'm joined here with two of my best friends, Nicole and Brooke. Go ahead and say hello, ladies. Hey. What's up? What up? And more <laughs> importantly today, more importantly, you guys, you guys are important to me, but uh, we <laughs> we have my, my mentor, uh, who I just described as the Michael Jordan to my Kobe, even though I am <laughs> below average in every aspect. Uh, Dr. John Eric Smith. Say hello, Dr. Smith. Hey, guys. Thanks for having me. Of course. I Welcome. am stoked. I'm also very nervous because, again, I feel like I'm presenting in class and he's just like, that's a C, dude. And I'm like, okay, good. Uh, but, uh, so, so anytime there's an uh, I need to like make a mark or something. I know. Yeah, exactly. You're mm -hmm. like, you didn't learn anything in your two years with me. And I'm like, I didn't. I actually don't remember a damn thing. But uh, So Dr. Smith is an associate professor and the director of the Joseph A. Chromiak Laboratories of Applied Physiology at Mississippi State University. Uh, he got his bachelor's, master's, and PhD in exercise science at Auburn University and now teaches in exercise metabolism, exercise physiology, training techniques, doping, and supplements, and environmental physiology. Uh, I would like to say War Eagle, but I think they got destroyed by Alabama yesterday, so uh, maybe it's not, not the best time to, <laughs> to War Eagle it. The, the Iron Bowl and the Egg Bowl were rough for me yesterday, both. Yeah, well, State got. I won't say they got spanked by uh, Ole Miss, but they didn't. They didn't do all that well. I just stopped so. watching football after like week two. I was like, <laughs> yes. no, it's too not, sad. not this year. Uh -uh. Not this year. It is. It is really sad. Yeah, but I don't know. Um, yeah. So, Doctor Smith, um, are you normally what we do is we go around um, and talk about what it is that we're drinking? I noticed that you are at school. Uh, because you're a nerd, and you said that you were going to be a how, how do you say it? Tea, teetotaler? A teetotaler. I, I have. Has anyone ever heard of that word? Have you two? <laughs> no. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I was like, I need to Google this real quick, uh, and I'm still not really sure. I was hoping for an explanation. <laughs> and he's like, just teetotaler. That's it. I'm like, all right, cool. <laughs> but yeah, I, I I would like to think that Dr. Smith has you know just an exorbitant amount of alcohol stash away in his office somewhere, but he, he says he doesn't. And I spent two years looking for it and all I could find was <laughs> diet Mountain Dew. So, <laughs> but are you, uh, are you sipping on anything right now? Uh, my diet Mountain Dew. No, oh, of course it's crack to this man. I do remember, and we talked about it recently, how uh, there was a point in time where Dr. Smith was keto and he did it really just to figure out what it felt like i believe um and then also you know he's old he's like 70 so it's hard for him to lose weight and uh so he was like oh i'll just have I'll just go on the keto train no but he did it for science but every day i walked in he was just <laughs> pounding diet mountain dew and then had medium uh chicken wings from buffalo wild wings i believe that was your crack of choice 
during yes. that time. Absolutely. Yeah, <laughs> which I can definitely <laughs> hey, applaud. That was that was an interesting time though. It's like I learned some like being a carbohydrate physiologist for most of my research to then learn that hey, maybe we don't need as many carbohydrates as we think. That was that was kind of eye-opening. It it hey, was man. I took away some cool learnings from it. You better relax because we're all <laughs> carbohydrate enthusiasts here. <laughs> and last thing I we need a is career like... out of it. Like... <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, but I am drinking cerveza from Marble. It's a Mexican style lager. It's called cerveza, which is just the Spanish word for beer anyway. Um, it's pretty good. Uh, it has a dent in it. So, oh, thank God. I told Nicole it had a couple dents in it and I was going to open it on air so that um, Hoping to if explode. it exploded, if it exploded, we'd have content. But <laughs> what about what about you two? Oh, man, I'm really bummed that that didn't happen. <laughs> I didn't know. Thank God. Um, I'm sticking with my red wine. Uh, I think on the label this week, it said that it like this wine that I bought would pair really well with Thanksgiving dinner. And I didn't drink it at Thanksgiving dinner. So now I'm drinking it. <laughs> And it's really good. <laughs> yeah, like, I'm still giving thanks, though. That's good. Yeah. <laughs> nice. I've got an omission brewing pale ale. Just the perfect amount of hops. Not like whatever you had last week, Yeah, bro. nothing messed that me up. Like almost died. Like, <laughs> Where is it from, Brooke? She's taking a swig, sorry. Um, taking a big old swig. That's a great question. Is it from Asheville or no? I don't know. I don't think it's a local one. Oh, okay. It's... I truly can't even find out. She's like, I can't read. Oh, well, Portland, or Portland, Oregon. She's drunk already. She just took a sip. Portland. It must, it must be very hoppy is what you're saying. <laughs> Portland, Oregon. All right. So from West Coast all the way to the East Coast. That is wild. Um, but good. I'm, I'm glad to be here on Sunday. Um, we're a little earlier than normal, but that's probably good. I am slammed with stuff this, this week. So I'm going to be working until like midnight. So if any of you are up by then, shoot me a text and say like, good luck. Keep, keep working. You got it. But all right. So we do have a question of the week. Um, and this comes from, oh, my mom, <laughs> my mom asked um, because she had a foot surgery. So she's kind of hasn't been able to exercise as much as she used to. Um, so her question is, when you have stopped exercising due to illness or injury, what is the best way to get back into it safely? Um, do you all have any any input into this before I decide to answer some of it? <laughs> no? Sweet. No, okay. That's all awesome. you're an expert. Great. I'm not an expert. <laughs> but yeah, I think uh, the, the first thing is, is to realize that however long it took whether it was like a week or months or even years uh that you have to understand that you are a couple steps back and that's not a bad thing it just is the reality of the situation um so you you want to assess maybe how much like quote-unquote damage has been done um and how much you're able to put forth to it because maybe your life is totally different um maybe you are not only weaker but so much time has passed that you are in a new job or have new responsibilities in your family or whatever. Um, and you really have to take note of, of that before you start to make any huge steps getting back into exercise. So once you've done that, though, um, I think it really is all about easing it in. Um, for some people, again, depending on how long it's been, 
treating it like it's your first time exercising. So you wouldn't, you wouldn't just try and one RM to see where you're at because then you would most likely be out for another two, three, four weeks, maybe even longer if you got really hurt. Um, and that's something that you really want to think about. And the next is just, even if it's something that is very outside of what your normal was, um, just your standard linear periodization is, is going to be like a really mentally free way to get back into things. So you go in, you do stuff that maybe you really like just to kind of get you into the habit of working out again. Um, you know, if you like really hate lunges, that's not the first exercise you're going to do when, you, when you've been gone for like four weeks. Uh, so doing stuff that you like, that you know you're capable of, um, and then keeping it very very moderate, very easy, something from like eight to 15 reps, just so that you are moving. And the intensity doesn't have to be high. It just has to be enough to where you start to feel good. Um, do that for maybe a week or two, depending on how long that that program is that you're about to hop into or whatever. Um, but then from there, start to get back to just the way, the old way of exercising where you would say, last week I did 10 pounds at eight reps. Um, this week I'm going to try to do 15 pounds at eight reps or 10 pounds at nine reps. Um, really whatever you're, you're kind of feeling at that day, but understanding that that doesn't mean that just because you've had one week of working out that you can just hop back into your old program. Um, if you really, really did love your old program, um, and sometimes I have some people that are just like, I just want to go back to what I'm doing and they haven't been able to be talked out of stuff, uh, then what you can do is put them back in that old program, but then dramatically reduce the volume so that it's not just that they're going into it and then beating themselves up. So even if they are doing three sets of 10 or whatever on at 80%, telling them, hey, you can keep doing three sets of 10, but let's make it at 50%, 60%, something that just allows them to move so that they can get back into the rhythm of things without really messing them up um, themselves up but I think that's the like an overall thing to, to think about and keep in the back of your head because it's very hard to plan uh, or it's tell people what to do when you have no idea what they've been doing how long they've been out um, and even what their mental state is like when it comes to exercise so that's what I have on that um, do you all want to add on to that as far as like nutrition goes or if dr smith wants to add on to um that question hey ro i think the one thing i would add is kind of the idea of why they were out too i think if you're out for question. two weeks because you're sick is very different than being out for two weeks because you're traveling yeah and where you're coming back at is gonna be a very different place yeah that's a that's a really good thing to know especially especially now with like people getting sick and you know it's like flu season it's cold and then now we have <laughs> the pandemic going on. So there's a lot of different things that um, could affect your ability to, to go back. So that's really important. Great input. What about you two? So if, if let's say my nutrition has been off for the three weeks that I've been sick, uh, should I just hop back into working out and then just jump back into the, to the food program that, that I was on? I usually generally have the same advice you gave just with food is ease back into things, don't go from zero to 60, and just start to slowly chip away at including the same habits and routines with food as well. Mm -hmm. So three yeah. by 10 sets of 
cur- apple curls, like or what? <laughs> <laughs> Take a curl bite. Sorry to cut you off, Nicole. No, you're good. I mean, you just have to make sure that one, like you're getting adequate energy every single day, including like adequate hydration, because all of that's going to go into like your recovery process as well. And so if you're not, if you're not doing that, then it's going to be even harder. But like Brooke said, you're not just going to be able to like jump straight back into it. If, especially if like your routine includes like a lot of meal prep or going to the grocery store a lot or whatever, you just kind of have to like gauge your energy level and do, do your best. Cool. Yeah. So, so you're saying a whole thing of lasagna because I need to carb load <laughs> for for the first time on training next. I mean, next if day, that's right? if that's good on your stomach <laughs> and you want to go sling some weights around with you know, like, the whole thing of lasagna, like not only am I constipated, I can't lift anything. Uh, Rose just like cool. sleeping for 48 hours straight. <laughs> yeah, just just in a in a carb coma. Absolutely. It's th- if there's anywhere I want to go, it's going to be that way. Um, but cool. So we invited Dr. Smith on one because, like I said, he is my mentor and I love talking to him. I love catching up with him. But we also wanted to talk about environmental physiology and specifically cold physiology. Um, because it is November. It's pretty much December. Uh, when people hear this, it'll be December and it's getting cold. I don't know. I, mm-hmm. it's getting a lot harder to lift in my garage and I don't know how much longer I can do it because I'm like, uh, my joints hurt more than they, than they're supposed <laughs> to. But it's uh, supposed to snow here in Nashville tomorrow. Really? Yeah. I'm jealous. So okay. exciting. I was like, yeah. this is going to be in the to 20s in Mississippi. Oh, yeah. Wow, man! I think it'll South be like is getting some stuff. To- <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, global warming. Uh, um, so before we start, though, uh, Dr. Smith, I'd love for you to talk about, you know, who you are as a person, uh, your journey to to being where you are, um, and kind of like what what made you get into exercise science and and into into what you do for a living. Yeah, um, I don't know. It, it was a long road. I initially went to school because I thought I wanted to be a chemical engineer because my dad was a chemist. I thought it'd be really nice to be his boss. Um, <laughs> then <laughs> then I, I, when I was in college, I got a job working at a gym and found out you could actually get a degree with an exercise focus. And I'm like, wow, that's really cool. And the fact that my hobby could actually be a career. So I, I got into exercise science. I thought I wanted to be an athletic trainer. I thought I wanted to be a PT. I thought I like... All those things, all of the exercise science. Yeah, (laughs) been there. At one point, I I wanted to be there. Um, Then my (laughs) senior year, I was working in athletic training and I was short hours. So I'm like, I guess I'll go to grad school. And going to grad school was going to allow me to finish my hours of athletic trainer. I got to grad school and got involved in a research study looking at the temperature effects of different football helmets. And how they affected thermoregulation. I'm like, oh, that's cool. So around the same time, I also learned that athletic training doesn't pay very well and has really long hours. (laughs) I'm like, I don't want to do that. (laughs) So I got more involved in research. And from there, I kind of just fell in love with the whole, like exploring the questions and creating knowledge. Um, From there, I just, my career was driven by kind of circumstance. It kind of seems like to me. I saw a job posted that Nike was hiring somebody to do like sports science research. You needed a PhD. So I, I'm like, okay, I guess I'll get a PhD. <laughs> and then 
as I was trying to get that job, I um, met the people at the Gatorade Sports Science Institute and ended up with an opportunity to go up there and work for a while. So I did that and spent nine years working with Gatorade. <clears throat> and then you ended up at Mississippi State. Yeah. <laughs> wow. <laughs> so I think early in my career, I was very focused on seeing myself as successful and the things I saw as measures of career success. Um, then as I started looking, when I, when I thought I was doing pretty well at that, I realized that I wasn't spending the time I needed with my family. And kind of, I lost focus and coming to academia allowed me to have focus on family and kind of really keep myself aligned where I should be, I think. Yeah, that's a, it's really important, I guess, right? You like, I, I don't know, I, and I'm only, I guess I'll be 28 in a couple of days, but like, I'm still fairly young, but it's like, I, I remember being like, just my thought process. And I'm like, that's a young man's game, man. I'm old. I can't be doing stuff like that anymore. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but that's, that's so great. Um, I do remember. So like I said, I think Dr. Smith is one of the smartest people I've ever met and he'll say, I need to meet more people. Um, exactly. But <laughs> I, 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 one of my favorite things is that when I was struggling uh, in my master's program, uh, you showed me your your grades before you decided what you wanted to do, and and I I think we're the same same way in that like they were atrocious, <laughs> I'm pretty sure. <laughs> and, I don't know. I don't know if that's a strong enough word to describe them. <laughs> I know. I'm like, hey, guys, I barely passed undergrad. Uh, <laughs> once so, I figured out what I wanted to do, it was good. <laughs> Bro, we, we were cleaning up the house um, it, it, like this week when we were at home, and I found my report card from Auburn where I made a D in jogging this, that semester. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> um, oh, and, like, I, I was telling my kids, I'm like, your grandparents nearly killed me, like, literally. <laughs> <laughs> because, like, that, that report card, I think it was like a 1.0 something. Man, you got to try to get, to get a 1.0 <laughs> I mean, it, it took effort <laughs> to get grades that bad. But... I mean, it it goes to show is that like you need you need purpose, you need the thing that is driving you forward, and when you have that goal in sight, the work becomes easy. It's when you're kind of floundering around that there's excuses to not do what you want to be doing. Yeah, yeah. I think Brooke said something on our is it two podcasts ago where she's like, "Oh, it's so much easier to wake up now now that I like what I'm doing." It's like, <laughs> yeah, that's crazy, isn't it? Yeah, I think uh, I had, after I gave my first exam last semester to my test and measurement students, some were upset that, you know, they didn't get like A's and low B's. And I was like, hey, it's like, it's just a grade. I mean, I always tell my students like, grades really don't matter. I understand they're like important, but they don't. <laughs> and they're like, well, like, oh, you've probably never done better in an exam. And I was like, I think you guys are really mis misunderstanding how dumb I am because uh, <laughs> this is just a front. All right. Like I'm teaching you what I learned yesterday. You know what I mean? <laughs> uh, but I told them that in my organic chemistry class or, or ergo two, um, the passing grade was the 32% because the, the, the curve was just that low. Um, mm -hmm. And I passed with a 33%. Wow. So, <laughs> so barely passed. And my favorite thing to ask students and people when they start to like question their intelligence is like, what, like, 
what's the lowest score you've ever gotten on an exam? And I don't think I've met anyone that has gotten a lower, lower number than I have. Uh, Bro, I made a negative three. Well, okay. (laughs) How has that happened? I I took a, it was one of my calculus exams. I made a seven. And the instructor said, you had to go correct all the things you missed. I knew it was going to take another 10 points off. I'm not going to, I made a seven. (laughs) (laughs) Amazing. Well, anyway, I got a nine out of a hundred on my second exam. Oh my God. And my favorite thing is to be like, you can count that with your hands and have one left over. (laughs) Like that's how poorly I did. Um, So yeah, I think that that's, that's great for any, Anybody who's an undergrad or trying to find purpose or whatever, listen to the wise words of <laughs> Dr. Smith and and Brooke because she's old too. So, um, it's, it's good. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, I know that you you mentioned that uh, you decided to go into academia from the private sector um, because of your family and, and what, what you what you thought you were kind of lacking in. But what what else? What else kind of drove you to that? Like, what are some really important differences in your eyes between the private sector and then academia? Yeah, like, really, a lot was hitting me at that time in my life, I think, is I, I was starting to lose what I saw as purpose in my career. Um, one of the things I'd sworn all the way through school is I would never go to academia because just, like, I, I don't like trying to interact with the students. I, I want to see effort and they don't always want to put forth effort. But in my final role in industry is I actually managed a team. And then for me to transfer my knowledge to my the people on my team and see the successes of my team, that kind of inspired me to try to take that to students and try to take the experiences I've had in life, share those with students for the students to go on and do things more than I could do. Um, one of the things I see is that I can interact with this certain number of people a day, but if I can teach you to do what I already know how to do, then you're able to expand that footprint and kind of share these experiences with other people. I mean, for me to go with the struggles I had as a, early on in my academic career, um, coming from a small town in Georgia to, I think, go to experience some of the things I've experienced and do some of the things that I do, I want to try to... Ex- kind of inspire the people that don't see those as options, that there are options for everybody. Wow. Have you ever thought about being like a LinkedIn influencer? Because that was, <laughs> that was very <laughs> passionate. And I'm like, yes, you're right. I want to do that. Uh, and then only because I, I have to ask this question and I'll probably edit it to say my name, but who is your favorite <laughs> former student and why is it definitely me? Is is, is <laughs> Ro, students are just like my children. I love everybody equally. It's just everybody uh, is loved for their own special reasons. Uh, <laughs> which I think is also still wrong because I'm definitely my mom's favorite and she just doesn't say it. Like everyone knows it, mom. Uh, and maybe maybe that's why I'm still so clung to you. I'm like, just please say I'm your favorite. That's all I need. That's all I want. Do you have any good row stories or anything that sticks out of weird things he did? Please. I feel like there's a lot. I don't know. Uh, I don't know. <laughs> Ro there, has there, stories. There's, there, 
there's always interesting stories with all of my students. <laughs> like you get hung up in that space of like what I can and can't share from purple. <laughs> that's, that's fair. <laughs> Very fair. Oh, wow. I, I do remember, I, I will say that one of the, the catalysts to me really trying a lot harder, and I would say in life, but definitely in school was, I did this presentation in my metabolism class, which uh, John Eric was teaching and I thought I crushed it. I'd done it like the night before and I was like, yeah, I mean, this is how I've done all my presentations for the past like two years. I felt very confident in it. Um, it's probably the last time I felt confident in anything, but uh, Dr. Smith oh was God. like, hey, can we like meet? I'm like, sure. What are things that I can do better? And he was like, that was that was C material. Like I, I feel like I just watched an undergrad present and I was I was very hurt, but I was also like, you you did just watch an undergrad present. Like I was an undergrad two months ago. <laughs> I, I don't know how to make this switch, uh, but I think that's that's when that's when I was like, all right, man, I really got to try. Um, and then I met you two, and my life went back downhill. So I don't I don't really know if this is a <laughs> this is a good or, oh. or bad thing. <laughs> we were at Mississippi State. That's where we met. We oh, literally man. saved you. <laughs> okay, relax. Yeah, I was, I was, uh, it was interesting to hear that, that they'd never heard of you or even talked to you. But like, I think you can speak to that, Dr. Smith, that every department is its own thing. And you right. really don't talk to anyone. Uh, <clears throat> I mean, that's a weird thing about, I think, academia is everybody ends up in all these silos. Mm-hmm. So, hey, like, I just, I just actually thought of a story about road that's not like school related. Okay. Like, <laughs> <laughs> you you beat my son at Splatoon when he was I, like eight. Oh, I and then you left him. before you could play a second game. I demolished and, him. <laughs> and he he still wants you to come visit so he can get his vengeance. Rainier, I hope you're I hope you're listening, man, because I well, first of all, I don't listen because it's expletive. But uh, yeah, I, I just remember that that was it like Thanksgiving. We were all, all a bunch of grad students yeah, over, and he smoked everyone. And this, no one had ever played this game. Like, I was like, I don't know what, what I'm doing, but I was the only one that beat him. And he was, he was very mad. And I was like, well, let's play again. And he didn't want to play again. And then Shep wanted to play him again and he didn't want to play Shep. Um, but then, yeah, he, I left before he could try and try and win again. But I mean, it's just one of those things where I've been playing video games my whole life. Like if you give me one game, I'm going to need t- 10 minutes to figure it out. And then I'm like, I'm competitive. Like <laughs> I want to win this. I don't care if you're eight or my age, I'm going to do my best to destroy you. <laughs> so. right. and, and he was eight. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's so wild to think about. So does that mean he's 12 now? Or he's 11. He just, yeah. He's 11. He's about to turn 12. <sighs> I'm getting so old and so quick. Um, <laughs> Cool. Well, thank you about that. That was one of, that's great. That was a great story because it doesn't, doesn't show the real me. So it's good. Um, <laughs> so I, I do want to, let's get into that. The cold physiology stuff. Um, there's, there's a lot of words that I think um, people tend to use, even though they don't understand that there's like nuance to it. Um, and it's like pretty important. So when we think about the words adaptation, acclimation, acclimatization and accommodation like those are very similar words but they all mean different things um and if you could like explain what those words mean in case we use them later on people are able to be like oh that's what he means not what i think adaptation is 
So, and I think once you're talking about these words, is they've become so common in word use that even people that know better throw them in there at the same time. Like the first one, let, let's go to acclimation and acclimatization. When we look at acclimatization, that's adjusting to the climate. So if we, when you, when you move to New Mexico row, you've got changes in temperature, you've got changes in humidity, you've got changes in altitude. So your climate has really changed. So that would be acclimatization to that environment. Now, when you acclimate, that's gonna be, you've changed to one of those variables. So this is usually gonna be done during like a research study. We're gonna change the barometric pressure to look at the differences in altitude, or we're gonna change the temperature, or we're gonna change one variable, basically for a research purpose. Um, so the big difference, I think, I, I look at it more simply as acclimatization is what happens in the real world. Acclimation typically is gonna happen in a laboratory setting. So that's the way I've simplified it for myself. And then if we're looking at adaptation and accommodation, adaptation, we're actually getting changes in the body. So if we look at exercising in the um, heat, we may increase our like plasma volume. We may have changes in hematocrit or hemoglobin. So those would be adaptations. Accommodations may be something that we're going to see in a very short term. So when it's cold outside and we go outside, we're going to have vasoconstriction of the blood vessels just beneath the skin. It's not an adaptation. It's just accommodating for those environmental changes. So, so is it fair to say that the more you accommodate, eventually you'll get to adaptation? Like, right. Uh, yeah. So those fall kind of hand in hand. Um, <clears throat> go ahead, sir. No, I, I think that's a good way to look at it is if you keep having to make this accommodation, eventually the body's going to adapt so that it becomes more natural, more easily transitioned. If we still, if we think of everything as specific adaptation to impose demands or the said principle, if I keep exposing you to this, the body's going to adapt to make it less stressful when we see the next exposures. Yeah. Yeah. So thank you for clearing that up because I know that, uh, like you said, they're, they are used so commonly and kind of um, <clears throat> switched out regularly that there's plenty of times where I'm, I'm like, I don't, I don't really know if I know the, <laughs> the difference. I mean, I usually say you acclimate just because that is what most people are accustomed to hearing. So if I'm like, Ro, have you got acclimated to New Mexico yet or whatever? Like, I know I'm using the term incorrectly, but to simplify the understanding of the people around me. We do that a lot in all of our fields. Very, very fair. And and that's why I only learn very surface level because I'm like, I don't know, big words confuse me. So, uh, you know, I, I so one of the things that, um, you know, since I've been away from home is is it's not as cold uh, as as it was there when I think about definitely Mississippi, um, but also here in New Mexico. But what is what is cold exactly? You know, because I remember opening the windows in the winter time or whatever, and my mom would say, "You're letting the cold in, right? Or you're letting the heat out." It just, you know, does it does it matter what 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 is what is really happening? Like, what does it mean to be cold? So, what is cold? I think you just look at what is freezing. I think that's going to be the point that we can define cold. Um, when we look at opening the window, the question of you letting cold in or heat out, we talk about heat transfers 
not cold transfers. So when the window is being open, the heat's leaving more than it is the cold's coming in. Well, it's isn't it? Yeah, and that has to do with like how I think we can generalize and say that the high high to low principle, right? Like there's there's a lot of there's high levels of heat inside the house. There's low levels outside. So the heat is going to move outside. Like, is that a fair right. way of thinking about it? That's, that's fair. Um, I think it gets more complicated. Like if you look at putting a cup of coffee into the refrigerator or into the freezer, is that gaining the cold or is it losing the heat? It's going to be losing the heat to the freezer. We're having the machine run the cooling aspects of the freezer. Um, but then as we look at kind of less extremes, if we put something cold into the oven, again, we're not necessarily losing cold, but it's gaining the heat. Gotcha. Yeah, I mean, I guess that's how stuff cooks, right? Right. <laughs> you, you just cook. Yeah, you get that. That's awesome. Great. Um, so how is it that from it? So we've talked about, you know, mugs in, in fridges and everything, but how is it that a body loses heat? Um, and then how is it that we, we can gain heat? Because obviously the, the balance between really survival is, is very, is very small. Uh, right. and so what is it that is happening, um, in, in order for this balance to, to keep us at the 98.6 and whatever it is in Celsius. Cause I don't, <laughs> I don't remember what it is. 37 degrees Celsius. Come on. Oh, see, I was testing you. I knew that. <laughs> right. Right. <laughs> no, when we look, most of our heat is coming from our production of ATP. We're not efficient at it. And as we're breaking down our foodstuffs, a lot of their energy is being lost as heat just due to the in a lack of efficiency in that process. Um, so if we were to like lock ourselves in a small room or get super insulated, we're going to get hot because we're not dissipating that heat. And we find this fine balance between creating the heat in our body and dissipating it to the environment. So when we look at finding a thermal neutral room, we think something like 70 degrees, 68 degrees for like a room inside a house. This is the point that the heat production, mainly through metabolism, is balancing off with the heat loss as we're dissipating our heat to the environment around us. And once we start having disruptions in that, we end up with changes in how comfortable we feel in that environment. So if we look at people that have increased subcutaneous body fat, they may find that space hotter as they have more difficulty dissipating the heat through the fat to the environment. So they feel warmer in that environment. If we look at someone with little muscle mass, their metabolic rate may not be as high. So they're being cold at the same temperature because of less metabolic heat production. Mm, I think that's really important for anyone who will start to fight with their parents or significant other about what weather or what temp temperature that their house needs to be. You just have to be like, you're just fatter than I am. All right. Make it colder. <laughs> it's going to be really good. <laughs> this I'm totally is really, using this on Brian. Yeah. <laughs> this is really cool to me. Like, I, I, I grew up in Georgia and Alabama and moved to Chicago. And 
if we looked at the thermostat in the house when we were living in Georgia, Alabama, it said at like 72. Mm-hmm. When I moved up to Chicago, 72 is hot inside a house. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So we Very. kept it like 65 to 68 inside the house. And then moved to South Florida, we kept it like 76, 78 inside of the house. So you're becoming more accustomed to the environments that you're in. And I think it even is impacting the way you're setting your thermostat in your house. I thought it was really cool. Yeah, definitely. And and I know that that uh, Brooke just made a comment like I'm going to use that on Brian. Um, and we also like joke that Brian is is an old man. I think he's only like 40. Um, <clears throat> but but what are some things that you have to think about when it comes to? So we've talked about those who have higher uh, fat mass. But what about older people, younger people? Um, like how how is generally what we think of as an old person and generally what we think of as a child or smaller person, um, how, how is that going to affect their ability to, to thermoregulate? So I, I think you look at two different things there. If we look at older people, they're losing muscle mass. So their me- metabolic rates are declining. They're also going to have re- like, or not necessarily have, but are more likely to have disrupted blood flow to dissipate heat. And they end up with an imbalance in their surface to mass ratio, meaning that they have a lot of surface to a lower mass. and They're going to lose more heat even while they're producing less because of the smaller muscle mass. On the other side, we have children and children are very metabolically active. Um, it's one of those things I remember my parents saying when I was younger, like, you're eating us out of house and home. And like right now, my son is like 11 and he's starting to like eat me out of house and home. Like he's always hungry, but like, He's so metabolically active to support the processes of growth and maturation that there's a lot of metabolic activity, but he still has this imbalance of surface to mass ratio. Like his mass is pretty small to his larger surface area. So he's going to still lose more heat. As we look at this imbalance, this is where we end up with differences in how fast they dissipate heat, but also how fast they're going to get cold in those like cooler environments. So on the cold side, the aspect is they're losing too much heat to the environment because of this large mass or this large surface area to their mass. That's interesting because I remember I was never, I was never cold growing up. Granted, I was like a really chunky kid, so <laughs> that might have to do something with it. But I, I just remember like sitting at the bus stop and never needing a jacket and all of the the parents that were there with their younger kids would be like, Oh, you know, put on a jacket. And I was like, I'm, I'm very hot. Like, I don't, I don't know what right. to tell you. Um, but I, I guess I'm glad that they weren't like, it's because you're a little sh- fat shit. And, you know, I was able to grow out of that mostly. Uh, it's, it's winter. So I'm thick boy seasoning it up. Um, like we had this conversation this morning, like this morning, like we're getting ready for church. And it's like, my son, like put shorts on. And it's like, my wife's like, no, it's winter. You have to wear pants. Like, no more shorts. This is, we're nearly in December. It's gonna be twenty degrees tomorrow. <laughs> so, but what do you what do you tell him if he's like, well, I'm 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 warm. You know, what what are you gonna tell him? I tell him he'll learn. Like, that's, the difference, that's the difference between a mom and a dad, right? Yeah, it's better. <laughs> he, he went he went camping last weekend, and it, it wasn't cold. It was cool. And I'm like, hey, I think you should take this stuff. He goes, I'm fine. I'm like, cool. 
You got it. And <laughs> yeah. he didn't sleep Friday night because he was cold. And his mom's like, maybe you should have like recommended. I'm like, I recommended. He said he wasn't interested. So I said, okay. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> You're like, this is a, this is a, what is it, an opportunity a for growth. Yeah. It's a teachable <laughs> moment. Teachable moment. There you go. Exactly. Um, yeah. So uh, I know that we, we've talked about like, adapting to your environment and adapting to to cold so there's always a transition that that naturally happens if you are somewhere that has four seasons or somewhere that bounces from hot to cold pretty regularly um you know i I think that when people notice it but they don't maybe don't they don't think about it how when they've been in winter for a while it's just like it's just cold It's, it's not a big thing but let's say a cold front comes in and it's like 10 degrees when it was 60 or 70 for the past week. And that slams you, right? You're like, it's so freaking cold. I'm not leaving my house. Like I can't get out of bed, but you've been in zero, negative 10, negative 20 degree weather for like four months during the winter. Like why, why does that happen? You know, can we talk about the, the acute and, and chronic adaptations that happen when, we, when you are exposed to cold on a regular basis and and why why is it that that happened that that i guess issue happens or why you're not normally as um used to it as you are when the weather keeps flipping back and forth so when we look remember our accommodation versus adaptation questions is if we're in a warm house and we walk outside to a cold air we're going to vasoconstrict to try to keep the core temperature at a certain level. Like this is our metabolic rate. Let's keep our heat within us by cutting off the blood that's carrying our heat, going to the skin and being lost to the environment. Now, as we do that, we're also like regular on a day-to-day basis. We're probably having some adaptation that is changing weather. We're producing more metabolic heat to better able be able to maintain body temperature, or we're having more vasoconstriction like, regularly in those peripheral areas and because of this this is going to be something we're going to like work our way out of i know kind of personally where i I saw this the most i was down working in florida during the week outside most of the day and then i was flying home to see my family on the weekends in summer and i would i remember standing at o'hare and like my teeth chattering (laughs) <laughs> and this was like a July day, but because I'd been outside every day in 90 plus degree heat, all of a sudden getting back up to Illinois where I was in, I don't know, 70 degree, like I was cold and I was, my body, I think was battling trying to deal with these two different extremes. I don't know. I'm not calling I guess 70 is not an extreme, but being nineties <laughs> all day, 70 is cool. Yeah. yeah, it's relative, and, yeah. Right. So I think that was kind of an eye-opening experience for me is how how quickly you adjust and your body is moving from accommodation to adaptation to these environmental exposures. And I think this is what we see some when we talk about the differences in how you set your thermostat, depending on where you live, is you're accustomed to these certain temperatures and you've adapted to this to manage and maintain body temperature that is impacting kind of everywhere you're at. Yeah. 
You know what that made me think of when you know when you go to sleep and it's like cold and you're like, oh, thank God. And you put on blankets and you're like, this is so comfortable. I'm going to bed and you wake up and it's cold and you're like, I'm freezing. I like <laughs> I think that even even at night. Right. And obviously there's things like you're you're putting yourself at a, you know, at a more baseline state so you're not burning as much so you are gonna be cold but even if the weather is the same or the temperature is the same from when you went to sleep to when you woke up it feels so much different just because you've been under sheets and you know you've gotten used to that little environment and as soon as you take it off it's cold my teeth are chattering so i have a hunting trip with my dad scheduled for this coming week and my question that I'm trying to still work through my in my head and I haven't figured it out yet is, am I going to sleep in my tent and just stay cold the entire time we're gone? Or am I going to go inside to the like heated like rooms they have for us to sleep in? And my, my the reason this is a struggle for me is because if I go in and I sleep in that warm environment, I'm gonna have all this vasodilation that when I go outside and hunt, I'm going to freeze. Like I'm just going to be cold. I'm going to be uncomfortable. Where if I stay outside and I'm uncomfortable sleeping, I won't have as much discomfort while I'm hunting. So it's I'm I'm, I'm trying to decide whether I want a lot of discomfort for short periods of time or just a constant <laughs> discomfort. For a long time. Smart, <laughs> very very smart. <laughs> oh my god. Like this is where like you spend so much time studying, like you can't even do simple things without trying to overthink them. <laughs> mm-hmm. That's so relatable. Mm-hmm. You're like, what do I eat to make myself warmer? Do I want something with protein <laughs> I, in it? Because I, actually, it's I have a higher effect or what? My my wife just bought me some like those little mini Snicker bars. To, like, <laughs> I, I found those are like really good to like just get that quick thermic effect of food. You just get a little bit warmer. Mm-hmm. Well, Brooke likes to say that. She hates candy and doesn't let people eat candy because she hates her clients. So I don't, I don't know if that lies. We we brought this up like four episodes in a row. Yeah, I I can't let it go. I'm like, just let me have my damn Rice Krispies. Stop judging me for it. It makes me. She didn't take. She didn't take your Rice Krispies. I know. (laughs) It's like my nightmare. Never judging. I just prefer other foods. That's all. I guess that's fair. Um, so like that's like I'm kind of the same way. Like I I don't really like candy. I don't like Snicker bars. But when, <laughs> when I'm looking at like they have protein in them, they have fat in them. So yeah. if I'm trying to like just use them to have a small boost in me- metabolic rate, they do the trick pretty well. Yeah. See. I remember being in high school and I took like my first nutrition class in high school because I thought this is what I wanted to do when I grew up and it is what I wanted to do. But (laughs) (laughs) I remember that teacher telling us that like Snickers bars were such a great snack because they had peanuts and peanut butter or whatever. And it was like this mix of like fat and proteins. And so I had this thought for so long <laughs> like Snickers or like a protein bar and I was like this is awesome <laughs> <laughs> whatever <laughs> it's That's not like... true but... <laughs> but like the thing is they have carbohydrates <laughs> to give you fast energy to give yeah. you a quick boost yeah and then the fat and the protein to like lag behind 
Mm-hmm. It was just funny because if you were someone who like was just taking that class as an elective, this is something, I mean, it's stuck with me now, you know, that was like 12 years ago. <laughs> I still remember it and like how many people just like took that and ran with it or. Yeah. yeah. But, yeah, yeah like, right. I learned this a long time ago. Snickers are a perfect pre-workout bar. <laughs> it's a healthy choice. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's okay, mom. We need to get the king size. Yeah. All these kids are like going home to their parents like we got to get Snickers. Snickers bars. <laughs> <laughs> oh man! So I I think it's great. You mentioned uh, you're going to you're going hunting with your dad, and so part of that um, staying in the tent and going inside has to deal with, like you said, like do I want to be uncomfortable now, um, or do I want to be uncomfortable later and more uncomfortable? So what are the the physiological differences that that occur in the cold? So all that warming up and you mentioned vasodilation, like, can we talk about some of the, the more intricate processes that happen in order to keep you warm when you are in cold environments? Cause it's, it's more than just like, Oh, you're just warm, right? Like there's a whole system at play and right. what are like the major, the major players there? So when we look at staying warm in the cold, a lot of it has to do with where you're sending blood in the body. If we look at the body, our skin is kind of a radiator. If we can get the heat being produced in the core of the body out to the skin, we can lose it to the environment. So one of the things that we do to first accommodate for the cold is we're going to have vasoconstriction going off to those to the skin and to the periphery, trying to keep the heat closer to the central of the body, closer to the core. And we talk about core temperature. So you hear this when you um, look at when do you put on your coat if you're going outside? Do you wear a coat or a jacket inside on a cold day? If you wear it inside to try to dissipate the heat, you're going to open all these blood vessels mm-hmm. and to try to have the heat be lost. Then when you walk outside, you're going to be freezing. Yeah, and You're going to feel really cold because all of the blood that's near the skin is going to be cooling really quick and taking this back to your core, this lower body te- or this lower temperature, where if we look at kind of, I guess, wearing short sleeves and all, and then right before you got the door, put your jacket on. You're not going to have the dilation you're trying to overcome just moving into the vasoconstriction. So if I'm looking at this week, the odds of me adapting to cold weather, I'm in Mississippi. Yeah, It doesn't, it doesn't normally get cold <laughs> here. So for me to adjust to the cold weather we're going to have in the next couple of days is not really going to happen. So it's going to be more of accommodations to the cold. So my thought, and this is where I'm playing it in my head, is if I stay outside, I keep a certain level of vasoconstriction and that I'm going to keep the core warm and not be losing as much heat to the environment. Where if I go inside, I sleep in a bed in a heated room that's going to be 70-something degrees, I'm going to end up causing some vasodilation that is then, as soon as I go outside, I'm going to have this this big heat loss off to the environment because all these blood vessels are dilated where if i can stay in the cold i don't have this one big heat loss i just have a sustained heat loss and hopefully through metabolic rate and finding activity level and food intake i can get a closer balance so i don't have these big swings that the body's trying to accommodate for so what about things like fluid loss because i i remember when i was growing up when it got really cold, I was like, man, I got to pee so much. Um, exactly. And when I, I, I remember uh, 
I, I had to have been in college in like my freshman year and, or I just started studying extra science. I remember, but, um, a friend of mine asked like, Oh, are you like, do you, do you pee more when you get cold? And my initial thought process was like, yeah, I, I would think, but only because that's what happens to me. Um, but I think it has to do with the fact that it's like, it's a hot liquid. And if like you're trying to keep it warm, it's just better to excrete it. But like knowing what I know now about fluid loss in order to keep you warm, uh, it's much more complicated than just, yeah, your body wastes energy trying to keep your pee warm. <laughs> like, <laughs> so can we talk about about that and, and, and how fluid loss um, and retention plays a role in keeping you warm, especially in cold environments? So, yeah, as, as we're getting into this cold environment, as I said, we're redistributing where we're sending blood. Because if we look at the fingers, the toes, the ears, the legs, we're going to start pulling blood away from those because that's an easy heat loss area because we have a lot of surface area to mass. So we start pulling blood back closer to the core. So now we have this fluid in plasma volume coming back into the chest cavity and all that. So that's bringing pressure up. As that pressure goes up, we need to try to find a way to reduce that pressure. So urine output is going to go up is we're trying to decrease plasma volume, especially the plasma volume in the core of the body and the thorax of the body. So we're dehydrating to reduce pressure. Okay. Gotcha. So then Brooke, uh, what, do you, what are you supposed to do when, when you're cold? Are you supposed to be drinking a lot? Are you supposed to be drinking more? Like, because well, I, I can't say, yeah, exercise to get your fluids up. I don't know. <laughs> Yeah. I feel like this is a trick question. I, I mean, I don't know. <laughs> I, I have no idea. That's why I'm asking you. I don't remember learning this. <laughs> so, it, like, fun trivia is you actually get more dehydrated in the cold typically than you do in the heat. So because the reason you don't for that produce as much sweat, and so you don't know that not you're the, like losing water. It, it, that's it. Is that in the heat we've been trained so well that hey, you need to drink. You see the sweat on you. In the cold, usually cold comes with dry air. So we're going to lose humidity in respiration, but you're not having that heat aspect. You're not seeing a lot of the sweat. So you're not drinking enough to offset what you are losing. So that they've done a, several studies and see that you have higher sweat rates. You have greater fluid intakes in the hot weather. In the cold weather, your sweat rate is lower when you're active but your hydration rate is actually even lower. So dehydration can be higher. Interesting. Oh, okay. I did not know that. That's interesting. Yeah. I'm like, how is this going to change the, the way I train clients in Alaska, you know, or someone that's like perpetually cold. <laughs> like, I guess I that does like kind of bring up a question because I remember when I used to do like long distance running and when I would run when it was really, really cold versus when it was really hot Typically, I felt like I ran better when it was colder, but, and I did find that like, I wasn't like as thirsty, I guess, or I just wasn't drinking as much water. I mean, how does that change like your training? Like if someone's training in the cold versus training in the hot, because, you know, normally when it's really, really hot and you're sweating so much, it just takes so much out of you. So when that sweating is into play, but you're also dehydrated, (laughs) how does that mix? So 
I think everybody should have a hydration plan. I, I don't I don't think anybody should go in kind of blindly. Hey, I, I'm thirsty. I need to drink now. I think that's easy to overdrink or underdrink if you're relying solely on thirst. Um, I think if you look at measuring your sweat rate and knowing what are your losses on this activity or this intensity and these type of temperatures and go in with a plan to try to replace close to what you're losing. So not to be like me who, I mean, <laughs> to be fair, I finally got my water bottle from school after six months only six because months Brooke of was dehydration. Like, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Drinking a glass and a half of water a day being like, I'm so good. This is great. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I wonder how, I wonder how much more I'll drink now that it's getting colder. Um, and then training in the cold, which I think is a really good segue, Nicole, um, because h- how does how does that change? You know, I I know that muscular strength, muscular endurance, power production all pretty much decrease in the cold, especially when you've gone from you know training in a in a hot or warm environment and then you go to cold. But why does that happen? I mean, is it like with you know, that neurons aren't firing as, as well? Is it that enzymatic processes aren't, they're harder to to get going just because it's harder to keep you warm or to get you even, even more hot so that those um, processes happen? Or is it something just mental where you're like, it's just cold, I don't want to work anymore? So I think the answer is yes. Yeah, um, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> sounds about right. <laughs> I, I, I think you kind of hit on all of them, but I think the first question you have to ask is what is cold? I know um, for me, I run in shorts until I drop below 20. That, that's kind of my cutoff. If, if I'm looking at weather to go out to run, if I see 20, I'm like, all right, I need to put on some tights or something to cover my legs. If it's 20 and up, I'm good for shorts. Um, the, that's going to be very different if you look at somebody smaller than me. Like, I'm over 230 pounds, okay? Like, that's a big man running down the road. <laughs> yeah, it, please tell me you wear short shorts, too. And people are like, oh, there goes crazy-ass Smith again in his short shorts. <laughs> <laughs> like, I, I have, like, a triathlon suit. I, I can run in my triathlon suit. But, like, th- that's please a big do. triathlon suit. <laughs> but it... If we look like at 237 pounds, that's a lot of heat I'm producing. So if, if there's somebody running this half my size and like, it's not unrealistic to say that you're going to have a female runner that's 120 pounds, right? If we're running the same pace, she's producing half of the heat I'm producing. So she may be uncomfortable at a temperature that I'm really comfortable at. I know one of the things that I hate is I hate running in summer because of the heat, because I have the heat that I, I have to dissipate more heat because of my body size. Now, going on to why are you losing some of the dexterity and all, this is going to have to do some of the blood flow and getting the tissues, the blood that they need. Is I was having this conversation with my son, like talking about jackets. And if you look at the good winter jackets, they have tabs on all the zippers. And the tabs are on the zippers because you trying to grab the zipper when you're cold is virtually impossible. And if you have this big string or whatever, that's much easier to grab, whether you have gloves on or if your hands are just cold. And that's going to, again, go to the lack of blood flow to that tissue. And maybe 
reducing the neural drive. One of the things that we see in people that are really acclimated to the heat is that we have a hunting response where we'll send blood to the tissues to keep it like provided with oxygen that it needs and then pull it away for a little while, send it and pull it away for a little while. So this is going to reduce their risk of having cold related injuries and maintain some of the dexterity. This is, I think is one of the cool things that you see in like Nordic fishermen because they're, they're very good at that where the people that are less acclimated don't have that effect and they increase their risk of having frostbite. Yeah. Cause they, they're so, a lot of their industry is, has to do with uh, obviously sticking their hands in very cold water to get fish, you know? And if you told any of us to do that, we'd be like, fingers a little cold there. But <laughs> I, I remember learning about the hunting response and, and seeing the graph of blood flow to the fingers and it was like a spike and then it was down a spike and it right. was down. Um, which I think was like super cool because like you said, like your fingers are always the first to go fingers and toes when it comes to frostbite. And ears. Yeah. Oh yeah. And well, ears and my toes. ears are, are huge. So they're going to go right away. But yeah, that that's super cool. Um, I, I do remember you mentioned the jacket in class we had a, um, a, I guess, test or just a little uh, class activity where you had a bunch of different coats that you brought in and you okay. were like, all right, which one would you wear from like coldest to warmest just to see what people would put on there? And the people from like the South all grabbed like the big puffy jacket and were like, this is going to keep me the warmest. And then like people from cold environments and the North were like, Mm-mm, that it's not going to work. <laughs> so can you talk about, about that uh, just as little as a little, you know, side sidebar uh, about why, why that, that matters. And, and the, the clothes that you pick play like a huge role in keeping you warm and things to think about. So when we're trying to stay warm, a lot of it is trying to increase the distance. The heat has to dissipate to be lost. Um, when we look at having a down coat, a down is a great coat. It like it'll keep you warm as long as you don't have a lot of breeze. And I think that's one of the things that the Southerners miss in that big puffy coat is that mm. air goes through that was so easy. Like yeah. if you have a breeze. Um and one of the things that I didn't understand as a Southerner moving to Chicago, I tell everybody it takes three years to understand how to dress for cold <laughs> weather. <laughs> is that as a Southerner, you have one coat. Yeah. And this is the coat that is good for the entire year. In Chicago, I had coats for about every 10 degrees, yeah. as well as like <laughs> different humidities and different winds. Yeah. Because, because th there's a big interplay between all of these factors. And in general, if we can get air still, just increasing the distance it has to move is going to help. I know one of the things that my one of my big learnings and teachings of this, like I have all the academic stuff to study, right? But then there's all these personal things that you really learn from is that everybody was telling us that we needed to saran wrap our windows in Illinois. And I'm like, what do you like that? Like saran wrap is the super thin plastic. Like, how is that going to help keep me warm? But if I put it on the outside and make an air gap between the saran wrap and the window, your house temperature goes up significantly because you've created this dead space it has to have a more heat transfers to move across. And that's the same thing that goes on with these jackets. If we look at the big puffy jacket, it's great because it has more space 
for the heat to be lost to the environment. The problem comes in if we start adding wind to that, the linings of that jacket don't block the wind at all. So wind moves right through it and carries away that area that you've built up of that heat temperature, of that temperature gradient, where in the window at the house, there's not air movement. I just have this gap here. So it's a complicated balance of trying to find how much heat is being produced by us inside the jacket. How, what is the temperature of the furthest outside space the coldest space? And how do I make a gradient in between there? It's going to be a third zone that he has to move from one to the next, then finally to the last. The saran wrap thing is so funny because we used to do that living in Northern Virginia. I remember <laughs> that. And it, it was like these sheets that we would do every year yep. with my mom and we had a hairdryer to like uh-huh. seal it. Yep. I remember <laughs> and, that. And they're huge. Like the ones we got were like eight feet tall. Yeah. Like that, That's it, so it, funny. It was, it, I don't know. It was the craziest thing in Going from Georgia to Alabama, they don't even sell those here, I don't think. Like, <laughs> I'd never seen them until I got there. People like, oh, you've got to do this. I'm like, this is stupid. Like, this isn't going to work. <laughs> well, it keeps you warm, but also it, it dramatically reduces your energy bill, which is mm-hmm. also important, right? right? So, you know, like, yeah, it may look weird, but if you want to save $100, $200 a month, depending on how big your house is, yeah, put Saran Wrap up. <laughs> Like I had 12 foot sliding glass doors on the, like my basement and my main level of my house in Illinois. And it, the amount of heat that we would lose from there was just crazy. And yeah. so putting up this saran wrap, like you, you noticeably see a drop in like your bills, but that's because this like four to six inch air pocket is making it harder for the heat to be lost to you, from your house to the outside environment. Yeah. Yeah, I do remember when uh, we had the snow apocalypse. I think that was the last one uh, when it was like two thousand and eleven. No, no. Okay, well then there was no snow. Okay, snow apocalypse was two thousand eleven. Snowmageddon was <laughs> two thousand fourteen or fifteen because I remember it was like negative thirty without wind chill, and then. We still had class and my roommate and I, it was just Mm -mm. a process to go to, I think it was like theory of religion. So I was like, oh my God, why am I even going to this thing? (laughs) But it was like shirt, sweater, windbreaker, (laughs) scarf, thick jacket, and then maybe something else. And then two hats, like one that like was right on our head and then one that was like puffy. Uh, And then we covered our face because... Uh, wind chill would would burn you after I think two or five minutes I can't remember and I just remember walking and all you could see is like puffs of smoke from people breathing and like that was it and I was like why why the fuck are we still going to class like I I cannot believe (laughs) they still have class Um, but that's I think that's that was when I first was like okay yeah cool is cold is cool where like when there's like so many ways you have to think about keeping yourself warm. Um, so, we yeah. we had a dog and like, I remember that we had one weekend up there that it was 27 below with like a 50 mile per hour wind. So the, the wind chill was negative 70 ish. Yeah. And like have to wake up in the morning and like have to take the dog out. So 
I have to get dressed in, like you're saying, like multiple layers, yeah. like snow pants, like <laughs> different hats and gloves. And the whole time, like my wife is trying to get the dog dressed to go outside so the feet don't <laughs> freeze to the ground. Yeah. <laughs> having to get their boots on and like, it's like a 15 to 20 minute process to take the dog out. Yeah. And you're like, this I would guy's open that door. <laughs> yeah. You're on your own, buddy. I'll see you in a few minutes. Yeah. But, but you would do that and I'd be like, nope, I'm good. <laughs> yeah. He's like, I'm going to pee in the corner here. That's what you get. Exactly. <laughs> but oh I, I don't God. know. Kind of, kind of like you, Rose, like living up there and experiencing some of that, like, it, it was really interesting for me to try to take some of the academic things I learned and then see them in real life. Like that, everybody, everybody has to live all of these environmental physiology things every day of their life. And you can't get around it. And it's, uh, it's fun to have an idea of what's going on and play with it. Yeah. And I think that like, like I said, it like naturally happens. We don't have to think about, okay, let's warm up or let's get cold. Like it just, for the most part happens. So whether you are aware of it or not, like everything we've talked about and you're listening, you're like, Oh, that's why that happens. Like, Oh, what could I do differently? Um, but yeah, I think that that's, that's really cool. Like I have a question for you, Dr. Smith. Go ahead. So, um, you have, I don't really know a lot about this, honestly, but I hear people talk about, they'll do like, cold therapy, cold showers. I know Wim Hof is really popular for this or even chirotherapy. Is that what it's called? Right. Why do people do these things? In your opinion, is there benefit or is it more harmful than good? I really truly don't know a lot about it. I I think the jury's still out on some of it. Um, We know that the cold therapy can cause some like positive effects in like free radicals and oxidative stress. Um, at the same time though, like if we look at the research, more mortality rate goes up in cold weather. So if I look at cold, there are benefits from inflammation and the cold fighting inflammation. There are some research to support being kind of oxidative effects, but in the long run, looking at people being exposed to cold weather, that's usually generally always negative. I, I don't know. I get torn on it. Um, one of the things that I see with cryotherapy, though, is do we want to decrease the inflammation or is that inflammation a positive response promoting adaptation? I think what I've heard when it comes to those things, and I think I've heard more so of like taking really cold showers, is that it's helpful for our body to go through that acute stress. Like that's the positive part of it. And like you said, you know, like the long-term effects obviously aren't good, but do you like, would you say that like acute stress, I guess is helpful to us? I mean, that's how the body responds is trying to overcome the stressful situations we're put in. Um, I don't necessarily know that, the cold is necessarily the right way to do it. Mm-hmm. I don't know that it's the wrong way to do it. Um, if we're looking at this cold to heat exposure, like you do a contrast bath, if the cold shower is going to be beneficial, then a contrast bath would probably be more beneficial because in a contrast bath, you would have the vasoconstriction of the cold with the vasodilation of the heat. A contrast bath is pretty uncomfortable. 
So mm-hmm. I, I don't see that being promoted very much. Um, <laughs> or what's that called when people like submerge themselves in really, really cold water and then immediately submerge themselves in warm water? Yeah. Is that called? That's, that's, a that's the contrast bath. Yeah. Okay. Got it. Got I did it. that at a spa once. <laughs> I did it at a spa. Uh, highly recommend if there's champagne involved. It was beautiful. <laughs> You're like, this feels really good. Whoa. Just stay in your room and drink the champagne. Yeah. Why do you got to do all that? I remember as a little kid that we had a snow day in Georgia and I was outside forever and it was like super cold. Like my feet were probably blue by the time I came in, like just from being outside in the cold. And I get in there and start like running, running a hot tub of water. And my dad's like, what are you doing? I'm going to put my feet in here. He goes, that's a bad idea. So painful, man. And I'm like, I'm like, daddy, you don't know what you're talking about. Like (laughs) I watched those, I watched that like St. Bernard on cartoons. And this is what he does to people that are stuck out in the cold. Like, it's a bad idea, son. I'm like, look, you don't know. The St. Bernard of the <laughs> I put my feet in that water, and it was so incredibly painful. But if we're trying to get that effect you're talking about, though, that's going from a severe vasoconstriction to a rapid vasodilation. If we're going for that effect, I don't know that that wouldn't be a more effective means of doing that. Yeah, because it's like, it's just sudden. Um switches from from one gradient to the other right you're just going from one extreme to the other and uh, you know i don't i don't yeah i don't think what i added is, what anything is with <laughs> what is with humans wanting to do all these extreme things and calling it like hashtag health you know uh, <laughs> you know i i don't know i think i think with that like there's so many people that uh, you know nicole i kind of laughed the other week when you were like every day i wake up and i make my bed because i get at least one thing done and i was like oh my god because I one time it. i told my dad and I, I was like hey i should start making my bed i don't ever make the bed i was like i should start making what? the bed so that i can at least like get one thing checked off and he was like i mean if like if that's how low your bar is that you just want to like <laughs> make your bed, then whatever, dude. And so I was like, oh, okay. Well, I guess that's not. I, guess that's I love not how your great. dad just like smashed you down when you're like, I want to make my bed. He's like, wow, you're an underachiever. It was- <laughs> this makes so much sense as to why Ro is the way he is. Was- exactly. He's like, cool. I'm going to do nothing. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, anyway, the reason I brought that up is because it's for the. The same reason that people, I mean, I think you all asked the question about like Wim Hof and cold therapy and taking cold showers and stuff. But I, one of those things is like, oh, well, if you can learn to be uncomfortable for five minutes or have like five minutes of really uncomfortable showers, I guess, then you're teaching yourself to be more resilient. And in my mind, I'm like, look, we do uncomfortable things every freaking day. All the t- and all and the if time. you're not, then you should probably... Your go-to shouldn't be like, I should take cold showers. It should be, <laughs> I should you should challenge myself. yourself. <laughs> yeah, you should challenge yourself in a lot of other ways, um, which is probably why I get really angry at those people that are like, oh, well, I'm really challenging myself because I put it on cold for two minutes. And I'm like, uh, whatever. Dude. And they're like, like, well, then I get immune responses. And I'm like, you know, if you are working out and you're eating and you're like mm-hmm. sleeping well, you cannot mm-hmm. attribute a two-minute, five-minute cold shower to you being mm-hmm. like, well, I never get sick. Uh, okay yeah so let's let's not think about the other 90 things you do throughout the day mm-hmm. Ro, i think you need to go do the um polar bear plunge in chicago therapy yeah New you're Year's. right <laughs> <laughs> like you need to go you need to go you need to go home for new year's and do the polar bear plunge 
I one, I don't think I'm traveling this year, but I I always wanted to do the polar plunge. Um the the closest thing I did to that was one time I went to visit a friend in Seattle and I was there with a couple other friends and we hiked up this uh mountain, I guess. And there was a really there was a frozen lake at the top and I told my buddy like, "Oh, I'm going to jump in there." And he was like, "You won't." And I was going through a rough patch of my life where I, I was like, you know what? I'm going to become that person that says, when I do something, I do something. And it was so freaking cold. <laughs> like, I like, I remember taking my shirt off and being like, okay, we're in shorts, we're in shorts. And my friend Christina was like, you know, you don't have to do this. And I was like, yeah, but like, if, if I don't, then Joey will be right. And she was like, all right, go ahead and do it. I jumped in that thing and I, it was like maybe three feet of water but I thought I was going to drown because my body just locked up right, <laughs> right away. And I have a GoPro video somewhere and I was just like, it's a cold. I can't, I can't do that. And like, I was not saying words. I couldn't swim. And I was like, this is it. My mom always told me. And then you had to like stup- hike back down the mountain. Yeah. Oh yeah. But the thing is like, it was so invigorating once I got out. I was like, right. wow, like I, this feels great. But, you know, it's not something I would do every day for five minutes. You know, like, oh, silly. Bro, it's a miracle you're still alive. Uh, 100%, yes. <laughs> Everything past 18 is extra credit. So, <laughs> so very He's like, that's why I'm that. getting my PhD because I'm, I'm, <laughs> I'm defeating all odds. Well, also, I shouldn't have made it this far to begin with. <laughs> but it's because I had two years of Dr. Smith going, we'll just give you this grade. Go ahead. Yeah, everybody everybody knows. I'm like, here, you can have this. I freely give these out. (laughs) (laughs) And then you get drilled, and you're like, you're right. I didn't deserve that. I didn't deserve to pass. Um, Yeah. uh, So after talking about all this stuff, like all all these really cool topics, and I'm really glad we went through. How can we synthesize it, or what are some things that we can think about when it comes to training in the cold? Um, because sometimes like there's just no beating it, right. Whether you are on a, like you went back home to Chicago, but you still had to get some workouts in or whatever. How do you deal with that? And then also like, it's starting to be winter time, right? So if you aren't in a gym that is like very well regulated temperature wise, um, what are some things that you can, what are some things you should be thinking about? And then what are some things that you can do in order to make your, performance as optimal as possible so i think the biggest takeaway that i always try to think about in the cold is make sure you don't sweat and get wet like the heat transfers with water are much greater than the heat transfers with air so one of the things that we always want to do is we want to dress to be warm when we start our workout if you do that you're going to be hot in just a couple of minutes and then once you get hot you're going to start sweating and you're not going to start throwing your jacket and all unless you're somewhere that has like a lake or something that you're doing like loops like we have on campus here that you can take stuff off and leave it in a certain place to come back and get it later. You're not going to start discarding clothes and hats and gloves and jackets. Your on short your shorts. Runs. Yeah. Yeah. My, my short shorts. <laughs> um, so I guess start out a little cold so that when you start getting that temperature up, you find a, pl- a spot that you're not sweating a lot. So you're not going to have increased heat dissipation from the fluid and the water on you. It's going to make you colder. So I guess when I think of that, I think about 
endurance training, right? Where you are consistently doing work. So you're going to consistently kind of warm up as, as you do work right. as someone who does more resistance training or someone who is doing like a lot of like power stuff where you get 30 seconds to a minute of where you're doing stuff. And then you're sitting for four or five minutes. Right. Like, wh- how do you, how do you deal with that? Is it that you should keep all your clothes on or that as you're doing work, strip it off. But then once you're resting, put it back on, like how, how do we play with that? I, I think that's going to be hard. I think, Endurance training is going to be the much easier one to solve because you have that constant heat production. I think if we look at the power movements, if you're setting a work to rest ratio, you should end up with a pretty similar spot of like, this is the energy production because during that rest time, you're going to be spending a lot of energy to replenish your fossil creatine stores and your immediate ATP stores. So your metabolic rate is still going to be elevated during those rest periods. and your lifting period is usually going to be 30 seconds to 45 seconds of eccentric and concentric contractions. So that's not going to be a huge heat generation outside of that rest period. So I I think you can still find a balance to be pretty comfortable in. Yeah. Yeah. Cause it's, you know, I work out in my garage and we have a, we have like, uh, space heater that we plug in as we go and do our walk just to make it a little better. I don't, I don't know if it's doing actual work at this point or if I'm just kind of telling myself that it's warmer. But, you know, even before it got really cold, I would always uh, wear like a hoodie and sweatpants just to get myself warmed up a lot faster and then kind of strip off. Um, but like doing that now, I do notice that when I have sat for maybe a little longer than I'm used to, um, I'm not saying I get cold or that I'm uncomfortable, but I realize that I'm not like as as warm as I would have been three months ago or when right. it was summertime. Um, so I, I will have to try and remember that. I know, kind of. <laughs> I, I, like you, I have my I lift weights in my garage, and as it gets colder, those, I end up. Do you still have those pink, the pink ten dump, the ten pounders? No, they're like two and a half. <laughs> <laughs> like two and a half. Uh, I Why do remember two doing and like a half farmers pink? carries. Oh, <laughs> uh, you know what? That's that's very fair. Uh, I think it's just I remember at the they're Sanderson, my daughters. Yeah, <laughs> those are actually her. Like, why are you subjecting your daughter to pink colors, Smith? <laughs> uh, yeah, oh, that's. I just remember at at the Sanderson Center, uh, which was the gym on campus at Mississippi State, is they had those the colored. Uh, weights which is like definitely more like the aerobics classes and whatever else was taught there <laughs> um but yes yeah, sorry like, nicole they can be black like, too Ro- road joked about having pink like dumbbells like i have pink dumbbells in my garage like <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> literally i mean if all my weights were pink that'd be pretty sick so <laughs> i i wouldn't i wouldn't care i'm wearing a tie-dye hoodie right now so it's 2020 y'all <laughs> Ro, how cold does it get there? I really don't know a lot about New Mexico. Um, I, you know, I it, it gets pretty cold, I guess. I mean, relatively. So the other day when we were walking, it was like 25. Uh, and then it was really windy, so it felt like 20. And we definitely yeah. did not do our like normal mile, mile and a half. We got right up the street and we're like, no, <laughs> I'm going back. Um. But I think that when it's when it's not windy, like my my garage is way more bearable, obviously, than when it is. 
Um, and the sun is just so strong here that even if I wait like an hour, hour and a half, um, up to two hours later than when I normally lift, if the sun is hitting the garage, then like it's way better. And then I can open up the the garage door and just like chill outside because the sun is warming me up. It doesn't really matter how how cold it is. That being said, it hasn't been like 10 or zero degrees. I'm sure I'll change my mind once it gets really cold. Um, but for right now, it's been it's been decent. Yeah. It's, it's been so warm here. It sounds like even in Mississippi, it's been colder than here in North Carolina. Hasn't been that bad yet. It's been pretty nice here. It's, it's just coming this our, week. It's coming this week. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I'll have to prepare. I, it, I don't even know where my coat is. <laughs> it, it's, it's raining right now. And as soon as the rain mm-hmm. moves through, it's supposed to be cold. Mm-hmm. Oh, oh yeah. It snowed yesterday. Not here, but on uh, on the west side. So because like Albuquerque is like a bowl. It's just surrounded by the Cindia Mountains. So some places just get pummeled with snow. And, and you would have no idea because... It's still like warm over here, a warm-ish. It's not as cold, um, but yeah, um, I I did think about the the crossover effect. So in in physiology, uh, we can put ourselves in certain environments to allow us to adapt to a different environment. Um, with respect to the cold, is there any environment that is going to get or is there, how am I phrasing this? Is the cold going to give us adaptations like a different environmental stressor would? Because I know with heat, there's there's a lot more crossover, but I don't know if, if cold has any. So as I'm thinking about cold, most of our acclimation is changing blood flow away and getting it more centralized to maintain heat. Um is I'm thinking through it, like I think what you're what you're referring to is like if I look at heat, I can increase my plasma volume. I can look at some of these exercise effects to simulate it. Um, the plasma volume changes the altitude. Um, with cold, off the top of my head, I can't think of any kind of corresponding similar responses. I guess I guess when I think about it. If if heat helps with altitude, is it possible that cold helps with, you know, you diving to, you know, 10,000 feet or whatever you can get to in the Challenger submarine or whatever thing is called? Um, but I have I have no idea. I just know that heat plays a huge role in stuff like mitochondrial biogenesis um, and then just getting us used to altitude. Uh, but I mean... Not exactly, but when we look at heat, we're trying to increase fluid volume and plasma volume is we to make cardiovascular strain easier. And when we go to altitude, that's one of the first changes we see as well. So I, I, outside of that, I, I think it's more complicated to try to directly compare them. Gotcha. Yeah, it was just something I was thinking about. I was like, I don't think cold has any... <laughs> Any other real benefits to it? Um, do you two, uh, first of all, thank you so much for all that. It's it's always great to to talk. Uh, do you two have any, any other questions about cold or what it's like to be that smart or anything like that? <laughs> you have to ask somebody else about being smart. Like... <laughs> 
No, it was definitely a really interesting conversation. And um, thank you so much for coming on and definitely educating us all a little bit more because it's something I haven't really thought of. And I mean, when you were talking, like questions came up and I was like, oh, like Rose said earlier, she's like, oh, that's why that happens or that's why we have to do this. So super cool. Uh, Brooke, do you have any questions? <laughs> oh, her mic is shot, but she did say no. So, <laughs> so it's, it's all good. Um, cool. Yeah. Uh, like I said, Doug Schmidt, thank you so much for coming on. Uh, it's always great to to listen and to, to catch up to and to let people know that uh, there's just way smarter people out there. <laughs> um, way cooler, too. Um, is there anything you'd like to add before we start to kind of plug you out? No, I, I, I appreciate you guys having me on. This was fun. I enjoyed the conversation and welcome to your first podcast. Oh yeah. Welcome yeah, to your first thank podcast. You. <laughs> now everyone's going to be calling you. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, and then you can thank us on all the yeah, yeah. So when you become <laughs> uber famous, just remember you got your first shot here. Okay. And if you're wanting to give out extra credit, just make all your students listen to yeah. us. <laughs> yeah. I think school yeah, just like, ended, but you're like, hey, if you need a bump, well, listen to this episode. <laughs> it, I, I like that you guys are trying to find the fun and the physiology, like, and trying to bring it down to discussion terms and not being stuck in what you get in a lot of classrooms. And just that, that's the important part of what we do that most people miss is that scientists and practitioners talking about it doesn't really help many people but if we can actually bring it to everybody else that's where you can have an impact my heart my heart guys <laughs> rose like it's i'm there. doing something right <laughs> we got it uh, that, that's funny gold star uh, right yeah. there rose <laughs> yeah. sign off <laughs> i will say yeah uh dr smith also uh since we're talking about cold um Canada has now surpassed Russia as our second most downloaded place. So for all you Canadians out there that are going to be cold, thank you so much for listening. Look into John Eric Smith. Uh, for the Russians, you got to start downloading more. I don't know what to tell you. <laughs> but, Shout out um, to Jillian. She's probably t uh, the one who's getting all our Canadian listeners. Yes. Thank you, Jillian. Then, I don't know bro, who you are, but thank you. You know, they're talking about like, they're talking like negative 30. That's nothing. That's <laughs> yeah. a warm summer day. Like, Literally. I, don't, I don't see what the problem is here. Yeah. They're like 70 <laughs> degrees. That's so hot. Um, <laughs> Their experience with cold is just so it's, much more. It's wild. Yeah, way worse. Um, so, Dak Smith, what are some uh, cool things that you're working on that you'd like to shout out or, or just talk about? So, I have, um, I guess, two things going on with my doc students. I have one doc student getting ready to start a dissertation looking at the gut microbiome and seeing how sweet potato ingestion can alter it to see if we can actually change the way the body uses carbohydrate during exercise. And then another doc student is looking at high and low training volumes, looking at training at 30% of max and 80% of max and looking at how that changes and leads to different adaptations. So those are the big projects we have going on now. And I think the coolest thing going on that really you're going to be sad about is it looks like we have all of our approval for our new building. Oh and no! I mean, that's awesome. So, that that's so great. <laughs> so, like, I, it looks like um, hopefully we're getting a thermal chamber for our lab as well as all the metabolism aspects. So, 
to really get into heat, cold, and metabolism all in one time. Very cool. Yeah, really we fun have a, stuff. a heat chamber here, and it's it's great. Uh, I, I haven't been a participant, but I've been someone who just collects data. So I just sit in the hot, sweating, and I'm like, what's your RPE? Okay, cool. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> Somebody bring me water. I'm not hot to leave. <laughs> I remember I was like, I was waking up at 4 a.m. to get there at 4.30, just like, why am I doing this, man? Um, but yeah, that's that's so awesome. I'm, I'm really happy to hear that. Uh, you all got approval and, and funding. Um, shout out to, I think, Shep and Marissa, right? Who are your right. doc students? Shep, right. of course, love and miss you. Marissa, never met you, but Dr. Smith says nothing but great things about you. So I'll have to take his word unless he's lying like he does about me. Um, and I'm, I'm really excited to see the the research that comes out of, out of the lab. Um, and I don't know, I guess you couldn't pay me enough to go to Mississippi State or... To go back to Mississippi, the state, um, <laughs> oh but I don't know. Maybe I'll go back if you have a lot of cool things, but <laughs> we'll, we'll, we'll see. It, I don't know. Like people, get, everybody wants to give Mississippi a bad rap, and like I did <laughs> before coming here. It, it, I, I enjoy it much more than I thought I would. Like I, I'm glad I didn't like not experience it mm-hmm. because of just preconceived notions. I will say the people are so great oh and i don't know if you all remember uh jason townsend brook and coco uh he how got, can we ever forget he uh, <laughs> yes my old boss uh <laughs> he got his phd so I, if you're listening oh, townsend cool. congratulations on on finishing That's your stuff awesome. dr townsend never thought i would say it just kidding love you jt <laughs> um but dr smith where can people find you and connect with you uh, on the internet if if there is such a thing um, my social media is pretty terrible. Yeah, it is. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, the best way is actually go through the university's email. Oh my goodness. Um, like, don't laugh. Like such right? a boomer, man. <laughs> hey, he's probably much happier than all of us. Social no, media that's can also be draining. Very, very, yeah. <laughs> so, like I, I recommend everybody does like me. Like I have 150 people on facebook that's right you do that's my limit <laughs> that's amazing and, like for me to add somebody new i have to delete somebody else yeah it's a one for one it's the most exclusive <laughs> club on facebook bro are you in the club yes i am in the club <laughs> wait until you're the one who has to get deleted yeah. one day <laughs> i'll be so sad i'll be like hey john eric i haven't seen any updates he's like oh this is this is really hard but like I am on LinkedIn, you can connect with me through LinkedIn. Um, just to actually put time in to actually keep up with Twitter or Instagram, like I forget about it. I don't. It's I think hard. I forgot my passwords. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Very fair. Um, I, I, I need a graduate student to come in and handle all of my social media for me. Yeah. <laughs> a I've tried to find assistant. one. I just haven't got one to actually. <laughs> To actually be that much more proficient at it than I am. Yeah, I was going to say, I'm pretty sure Shep is pretty terrible at, at it yeah, as like, well. Hunter Waldman wasn't good at it, isn't good at it. So, like, yeah, I, I'm, 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 still, I'm still looking to find a graduate student to handle my social media for me <laughs> and keep announcements of our lab and <laughs> going on and all. So anyone in undergrad that's listening to this and is interested in a master's or PhD in exercise science <laughs> and you have great online skills go ahead and, and apply <laughs> to work under dr smith um 
But cool, thank you so much for coming on. This has been really great. Uh, I appreciate it. Um, and, and I hope that the people who, who are listening learn something um, that that they can apply to their everyday cold life for the next <laughs> for the next couple of months. Um, but cool. Thank you all so much. We'll catch you later. And as Brooke likes to say, let's cue the music. <laughs>